0: Alright, so this evening we are going to be in Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30. The topic is covenant renewal uh, at Moab or in Moab. So the the second generation of Israelites is on the east side of the Jordan River getting ready uh, to go west across the Jordan and into the land of Canaan. And this is a covenant renewal ceremony. Uh, the commentators go um, uh, different ways on this. Even uh, John Gill, uh, whom I, I respect very much, um, he makes a comment that this is a different covenant. I do not believe that. I believe this is a renewal of the same covenant. Uh, the, the covenant was cut back uh, at the base of Sinai uh, back in Exodus uh, chapters 20 through 23. 23. Um, It's a shortened version of what we have here in Deuteronomy. Uh, And then in Exodus chapter 24, that first generation of Israelites that was redeemed out of Egyptian slavery uh, agrees to abide by the covenant. And in our first um, lecture, if you will, uh, in Deuteronomy, I made the point that uh, there is no... Um, equivalent text here in Deuteronomy, the late portion of Deuteronomy whereby the Israelites um, make that same claim that they will abide by the words of this covenant and the reason uh, that I argued that at that time and I will argue again tonight, the reason why there is not an equivalent to Exodus chapter 24 here in the latter portions of Deuteronomy 29 is because this second generation of Israelites is already in the covenant This is simply a covenant renewal ceremony with this second generation of Israelites after the first generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt fell in the wilderness because of their unbelief. So we're going to pick up here, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as we move through the early portions of Deuteronomy 29. We pick up in verse 1. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which he had made with them at Horeb and Moses summoned all Israel and said to them you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and all his land the great trials which your eyes have seen those great signs and wonders yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know nor eyes to see nor ears to hear And I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandal has not worn out on your foot. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or strong drink, in order that you might know that I am the Lord your God. When you reached this place, Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out to meet us for battle. But we defeated them, and we took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Manassites. So keep the words of this covenant to do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You stand today, all of you, before the Lord your God, your chiefs, your tribes, your elders, and your officers, even all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the alien who is within your camps, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water that you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath which the Lord your God is making with you today, in order that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God just as he spoke to you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." So let's pause there for a second. So uh, sometimes the the language that's used uh, in the in these translations uh, causes people to believe that there is a an additional or different covenant here. So for example, in verse one, uh, in the New American Standard version has the word besides uh, to to make. Uh, with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he had made with them at Horeb. Or in verse 12, that you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God. And I think, um, and and some of the translations actually are are even more difficult. Uh, Many of the translations have, um, instead of besides in verse 1, they have something like in addition to. Uh, And so I I don't believe that that is... um, helpful. I think that the, 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 the lexicon here has the word besides, meaning it, it expands on what has come before or expands on what has preceded. And then in verse 12, this, this word enter, it really means to pass through, right? So this is not an initiation, I don't believe. So anyway, enough, enough with that. Either way, God, uh, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, is here renewing this covenant with this second generation of Israelites. And then in verse 4, there's this uh, very interesting uh, text here. Uh, Moses says, Yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. So it's very interesting, uh, almost indictment, I guess, uh, of the Israelites here. Uh, Moses has obviously been living with these Israelites for 40 years, and he has gone through his... um, a number of trials uh, with them. And so uh, it's just an interesting statement about the Israelites as they prepare to go into the land of Canaan. And of course, uh, when you proceed in your reading through uh, to Joshua and then to Judges, uh, you will see, of course, uh, that these, this next generation uh, is very often uh, unfaithful as well. And they do not actually take over the entire land uh, of Canaan for many hundreds of years uh, later. It also is interesting to point out in verse 4 that it is the Lord, in fact, who must give a heart to know, and he must give eyes to see, and he must give ears to hear. That's abundantly clear uh, from verse 4. And so we see uh, that the Lord must act in order for human beings to have uh, a heart that's receptive to him and, and eyes to see spiritual things and ears to hear spiritual things as well. Um, In verse 6, verses 5 and 6, this idea that the clothes have not worn out, uh, they have not eaten bread, verse 6, nor have drunk wine or strong drink. And so obviously for these 40 years, God has been providing for the Israelites uh, through manna and water. And then what we see in verse 9 is something that we have seen over and over and over again, and we see it again, and we will see it again before this hour is up. Uh, Verse 9, so keep the words of this covenant to do them that you may prosper in all that you do. And so we see that the prosperity of the Israelites is contingent, of course, upon the Israelites themselves, keeping the words of the covenant, obeying the commands of the Lord. So in verse 13, right, in order that he, God, may establish you, the Israelites, today as his people, and that he may be your God, just as he spoke to you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we see that God is establishing Israel again here, renewing this covenant, and it is for their benefit. It is for, uh, this is a, a word to them to give them confidence that they are, in fact, the people of God. And we'll pick up, actually, on that motif here in verse 14. So, Moses continues, Now, not with you alone am I making this covenant, Moses speaking for the Lord, and this oath, but both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, and with those who are not with us here today. For you know how we lived in the land of Egypt, and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. Moreover, you have seen their abominations and their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which they had with them. Verse 18. Lest there shall be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Lest there shall be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. And it shall be when he hears the words of this curse, that he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. The Lord shall never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man, and every curse which is written in this book will rest on him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Then the Lord will single him out for adversity from all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant, which are written in this book of the law. Now the generation to come, verse 22, your sons who rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a distant land, when they see the plagues of the land and the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it, will say, All its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste. Unsown and unproductive, and no grass grows in it, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Admah and Zeboyim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. And all the nations shall say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land? Why this great outburst of anger? Then men shall say, Because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they have not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore the anger of the Lord burned against that land to bring upon it every curse which is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is this day. Verse 29 The secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. So we see here that this uh, again uh, this this covenant here is a renewal covenant um, and it's established with this second generation of Israelites for their benefit. And you can see that because in verses 14 and 15, Moses is making clear, uh, speaking for the Lord, that the covenant is not with the people who are standing here alone, but it is with those who, who stand with his, uh, here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not with us here today. Well, who are those who are not with the Israelites there on that particular day? Well, I believe that that is future generations. And I think that's tied to verse 22. Now the generation to come, your sons who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a distant land. So those are the people that are not with the Israelites on this particular day during this covenant renewal ceremony. And I also would point to the idea in verse 25. So after the curses come upon the Israelites for their disobedience, Then men shall say, Because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, Yahweh, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. He doesn't say the covenant that he made with them when he was in Deuteronomy uh, on the east side of the Jordan River. He is always referring back to the covenant that was made with them back in Exodus 20 through 23. And so we see here uh, that uh, there's a warning, and it's a stern warning, obviously, in this portion of the text against idolatry. And so, uh, at least in the New American Standard Version, in verses 16 and 17, uh, there's a parenthetical statement there. It's reminding the Israelites of how when they lived in the land of Egypt, there were many idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold there. And so the warning... uh for those who are standing there on this particular day as well as those who are not with them standing there on that particular day picks up in verse 18 lest there shall be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations and then of course there are several verses here of warnings against idolatry you see that verse 19 the words of this curse um, and again this is a, a, a very stubborn idolatry. It is an idolatry done that's done with intentionality. You see that in verse 19. The person, the man, the woman, the family, the tribe, they say to themselves, quote, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. So this is a very stubborn idolatry, and the warning comes very sternly. Verse 20 The Lord shall never be willing to forgive. Him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man, and every curse which is written in this book will rest on him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And then, of course, uh, as all Israel then turns to idolatry, you see that the generation to come. The sons who rise up, verse 22, right? They will see the land, it will become brimstone and salt, uh, a reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, Admah and Zeboyim in verse 23. Uh, which will be the result of a widespread turning, a widespread idolatry in Israel. And God will literally destroy the land such that, in verse 24, the nations surrounding Israel will look at Israel and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land? And of course, verse 25, because they, the Israelites, forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And of course, again in verses 26 and following there is this uh, idea that the Israelites are idolatrous. And the anger of the Lord burns against the land, verse 27, to bring upon it every curse, which is written in this book. And then in verse 28, it's important because it says that the Lord will uproot them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is this day. And that motif actually will pick up In chapter 30, verse 1, but there's this interesting uh, verse here, Deuteronomy 29, uh, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. So we see here uh, Moses making the case, I believe, to the Israelites that God has revealed to the Israelites everything that they need to know in order uh, to stay obedient to his law and to stay uh, as, as blessed as a nation and as a people. And so there are many things about the Lord's will That we don't know. There are obviously many things about the Lord's will that Moses and the Israelites don't know. And those are the secret things that belong to the Lord our God alone. However, the things revealed, that is what we have just come through in the book of Deuteronomy. The things revealed belong to us, the Israelites, and to our sons, the generations to come forever, that we may observe all the words Of this law. And we will see that again in Deuteronomy 30, a similar statement. So, chapter 30, beginning in verse 1, we'll pick up on this idea that the Lord has uprooted the Israelites from their land in his anger and in his wrath for their disobedience. Verse 1 of Deuteronomy 30. So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. And the Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the Lord and observe all His commandments which I command you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers, if you obey the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul." So we see now this restoration that's being promised after the Lord uproots Israel from the land. Of Canaan for their disobedience, and of course we know we know that this happened. It happened a couple of different times. We know, uh, as we have said previously, that the northern kingdom of Israel was exiled to Assyrian captivity in 722 BC, and we know that the southern kingdom of Judah was uh, finally exiled to Babylon in 586 uh, BC. And at that time that the Temple of Solomon was destroyed and they were in exile uh, in Babylon for 70 years, according to the prediction and prophecy of Jeremiah the prophet. But there, under the um, leadership uh, of the prophet Ezekiel, as well as Nehemiah and Ezra, they returned, verse 2 of Deuteronomy 30, they returned to the Lord their God to obey him with, with all their heart and soul, according to that, uh, the, the commands of God. And then in verse 3, the Lord your God will restore you from captivity. And he, in fact, did that. He brought back uh, Ezra and Nehemiah back into the land, back to Jerusalem. And in fact, Nehemiah, uh, I don't want to necessarily go there right now, but if you'd like to look it up in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 9, Nehemiah appeals to these verses in the early portions of Deuteronomy chapter 30, specifically verse 3 and following, as he's praying to the Lord, Lord God, uh, as he's going to be restored, he and the other Israelites are going to be restored to the land after 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And so you can see a reference to Deuteronomy 30 there in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 9. And so this is a great promise of restoration. And the Lord, of course, as he always does, he makes good on his promises and one of those promises is here is very interesting in um, verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live and then in verse 8, and, and you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments, which I command you today. And, and, and in these verses, of course, we see echoes of the new covenant and, and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, men and women being born again from above. This is truly what circumcision of the heart means. And you can see that in Colossians chapter 2. Um, and uh, in Romans chapter 2 and those places in the New Testament where Paul makes it very clear that true circumcision is circumcision of the heart and to be a true Jew means that you have been circumcised not in your flesh but in your heart and so we see these echoes of the promises of the new covenant here in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 6 and 8 and then this promise of prosperity in uh, verse 9. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand. And certainly we see that uh, fulfilled in some measure in the life and ministry of Nehemiah as the exiles return uh, from Babylon. But again in verse 10 you see this conditional statement. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And so then, verse 11, I want to spend some time here. Moses says this to the Israelites For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Verse 13. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Verse 14. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. And so this is a a very uh, interesting uh, four verses. Here Moses clearly making the case on behalf of Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, to his covenant people Israel, that the commands that he has given to them are not too difficult, right? And in some sense, if we just take the Ten Commandments, uh, for example, uh, uh, t- a- at face value, right? And you s- see, see things like, uh, commandments like, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal Right? There's a sense in which these commands are not difficult, and in fact, the the, uh, the great commandment, uh, the, the law of Christ from the New Testament, to, to love one another even as Christ has loved us, is is far more difficult uh, from a fleshly perspective to do than the the negative commandments of the uh, uh, of the Ten Commandments. But of course, we know that the Israelites uh, failed in every uh, regard in that. In the first table, that is uh, Commandments 1 through 4, as well as Commandments 5 through 10. But the case is being made here that these commandments are not too difficult. And of course, Paul makes the case uh, in Galatians that this law, the law, the Mosaic law, was added to increase transgressions. That people would see their need for God and His saving work and I also note here if you would turn with me I do want to just point this out to you in uh, if you, to the New Testament in Romans chapter 10 these verses in the in Deuteronomy chapter 30 are the very verses that Paul appeals to in Romans chapter 10 as he's talking about faith and his heart's desire for the Israelites To be saved. So if we pick up in verse 1 of Romans chapter 10, Paul writes this Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that is, the Israelites of his generation, is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Here we are, verse 5. For Moses writes that the man who practices practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. That's from Leviticus. And in verse 6, Paul writes this, But the righteousness based on faith speaks thus... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Those verses uh, 6 through 8 are the quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 12 through 14. That is the word of faith, Paul says, which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart the man believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes in him Will not be disappointed. And so Paul is making the same argument as he goes into the Jewish synagogues in every city and he preaches the gospel. He preaches and argues from the the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the predicted Messiah and by faith in him, these Israelites can. Uh, be saved from their sins, and have the righteousness of God credited to their account, Paul says that this is not too high. Christ has already come down to bring the gospel. And we don't have to descend down into Hades, into the abyss, but Christ has already been resurrected. And so the gospel itself is right there in front of us. And so our job as evangelists, which is the same as Paul job, Paul's job in the synagogues, is to take that gospel word of simple, Faith in the risen Christ and to hold it out in front of people and command them to believe it. And so Paul appeals to Moses here in Romans chapter 10 from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And that is our message. It is not our message. Of course, we remember that the Lord must circumcise hearts. In order for men to believe, we saw that in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 30 and we saw that back in Deuteronomy 29 verse 4. The Lord must give a heart to know. He must give eyes to see. He must give ears to hear. And of course, here we see as we finish out Deuteronomy chapter 30 and pick up in verse 15, Moses says this, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing And the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And so we see here Moses, as we're coming to the close of Deuteronomy, he is calling the Israelites. Uh, to make their choice, right? They are already in the covenant, but they must make that choice now in this moment to either obey God or to turn away from God. And in some sense, this is a build on what we already talked about from Romans chapter 10, as we present the gospel uh, to sinners and to people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we offer them the same choice, right? We declare to you today, verse 18, that if you turn away if your heart turns away from God and you do not obey the gospel, then you shall surely perish, right? And so in, in our evangelistic efforts, we set before sinners, unbelieving sinners, life and death, the blessing of the gospel and the curse of condemnation. And we implore sinners to choose life in order that they may live, And so uh, just as a word of encouragement to all of you, this is the same uh, choice that that we were faced with. And by God's grace, we have come into repentance and faith. And uh, this is the same opportunity that we provide as we take the gospel to lost and fallen sinners. So be encouraged um, as you set this choice before sinners. Offer them life and death. Offer them blessing and curse. And pray that the Lord would give them hearts to know and eyes to see and ears to to hear.